Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of April 8th, 2019. On the show today, we look at a bunch of Disney news announcements, and Jim digs deeper into the Universal Ride Survey we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That one got a lot of listener interest, so we're going to expand on it on today's show. But first, let's bring in the man who reminds us that family traditions are nothing more than peer pressure from dead people, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Wow, we're, we're, we're starting really upbeat with this show. <laughs> okay. I was, I was looking at these show notes yep. that we wrote up before, and I'm like, I'm going to be Mr. Cranky Pants today, and I don't I don't know why, because I feel great. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right into offending the people then, okay? Just, just you know. Jump right in but, here. But, all right. Before we do that, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Wesley J. Hey, Wesley. DVC Family and Figment34786. And longtime subscribers, Donna I, Swan Dolphin, and Sean F. Fun fact, Jim, at one time or another, all of these folks have played Divine at Disney's Animal Kingdom. In fact, if you go up to Divine and whisper, Donna, if that's you, give me a sign, and then listen really, really hard, you'll hear the leaves rustling in the background. And that, Jim, is how you know. Don't look at LinkedIn. Do that. <laughs> okay. I once was at the park, and Divine was out, and she was doing a wonderful job of blending in such a wonderful job that somebody actually backed into her. Oh, on, st on stilts. Yeah, Ooh. and it was one of these moments where suddenly, you know, you went from, oh, look at the... Slow moving bush to look at the frantic moss covered giraffe trying to stay up. It was <laughs> yes, it's 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 some some drunk leaves over there. <laughs> Not pretty. All right, Jim. Let's uh, let's jump into the news. Don't forget, folks. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. How often do you stay awake at night wondering to yourself just how early Disney could possibly begin celebrating Halloween? When you run out of the fun-sized Milky Ways, you know, this is actually a concern, Len. I April is around the time when the Halloween candy runs there out in New Hampshire, go. is that what you're saying? There we go. All right, Jim. Well, apparently you're not alone in this concern. Mm -hmm. This week, Disney announced a new Magic Kingdom hard ticket event called Disney Villains After Hours starting June 6th and running for 10 nights through August 8th, 2019. That's right, Jim. Halloween starts during the last two weeks of spring now. The previous attempts for a, a villain event were over at Disney's Hollywood Studio, which obviously, with Galaxy's Edge looming, not going to happen. They've got other things to worry about in June, July, and August, right? Yeah. Did you read some of the description of some of the stuff they're doing? Like, for example, the uh, Maleficent Dragon Float is going to wander through the park. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be on the parade route, right? We're not going to see it in uh, in tomorrow. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a thing. Um, likewise, the villain show that they're, they're going to be doing in front of the castle, which, by the way, no villains available afterwards to do meet and greets. So we've seen some of the things before. There's uh, They they say uh, character additions at Pirates of the Caribbean and Space Mountain. Mm -hmm. We see we saw that at Pirates of the Caribbean last year. Mm -hmm. Special food and uh, beverage offerings which we've sort of seen kicked around mm -hmm. before, obviously all kinds of merchandise. There's also a new stage show from Hercules. Mm -hmm. Interesting choice with uh, appearances by Jafar, the queen mm -hmm. and Maleficent, like you, uh, like you said, 
Ticket prices, $139 plus tax, 144 day of annual pass holders and uh, DBC members uh, get a $30 discount on that. Two years ago, we saw Club Villain launched in the Black Box Theater over at Disney Hollywood Studios. In fact, I know at some point in today's show, we're going to talk about Lightning McQueen, the show that went in there as the replacement. But it's fascinating for me to see Disney continue to kick the tires for villains events and trying to figure out how can we do this? Because as as far back as, what, 86 when they opened the Cinderella Mystery Tour which at Tokyo Disney, which was basically the first attraction to ever celebrate the villains. I mean, this is something that Disney's really, really wanted to do. And I know you and I have talked about on previous shows about the Bald Mountain project that was going to be built where New Fantasyland is, which was going to be a, a, right. an attraction that celebrated the villains. It's, I guess they're just going to keep working at this till they get the idea that they, or they get the thing that they, they like that, that makes money, that's successful. But Did I ever tell you about my, uh, my idea for an April Fool's Day uh, joke related to the Disney Cruise Line? No. It was, uh, so I was going to try and film a promo mm-hmm. where the next Disney ship launched was going to be a villains themed ship. Mm-hmm. So everything, uh, all of the activities, all of the decor, all the restaurants, all of the cast staterooms would be villain themed. So, uh, so imagine you're, you're dining and your waitstaff comes up to you and, you know, is bringing your food, but then Cruella de Vil walks by and knocks over your glass or something, you know, or, or like takes the bread basket. That was, I was going to try and film a little vignette like that mm-hmm. and make it into a Disney Cruise Line commercial and release it on uh, on April Fool's Day. But I think then I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, why why isn't this a good idea? Like, why isn't a, an entire, in this case, cruise ship dedicated to villains? Why is that not a good idea? I think it is. I think it's a good well, idea. Well, at the very least, I mean, if they're doing a Marvel Day at Sea and a, you know, Star Wars Day at Sea, you know, wouldn't it say to Yeah, Disney villains. Yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, you mentioned the the character greetings where you know the kids run up to the characters and the characters can do things like stand in front of the kids so that the kids aren't in the photos <laughs> or you know or pretend to do it right and there are all kind of goofy things that villains can do that uh, that regular characters can't. Oh, that sounds cool. Okay, all right, cruise line. You heard the idea. Steal it. <laughs> exactly. Please. All right, Jim. Other events going on. Disney's announced the Food and Wine Festival will run even longer in 2019 to November 23rd, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Jim, you know I like food and wine. I think the food quality is good. And people seem to enjoy it. The opening, though, Jim, of food and wine is Thursday, August 29th this year. And because food and wine is so popular, Jim, it's a good thing that Disney does not, doesn't have anything else going on on August 29th because there's also free dining to go along with that food and wine festival. And don't forget, Jim, that Disney's raised ticket prices this year to, sp- to try and spread crowds out evenly throughout the year. So you don't want to have too many things happening. At the same time in the park, they would draw people in. Because that would that would just defeat the purpose of those higher ticket prices, right? Right. I, th- really? Okay. The 29th? <laughs> I looked at that and I'm like, hmm, oh my, is it, you know, what, what else do I have on my calendar I, that geez, day? I had a, something. That's you know, in a galaxy far, far away, Len. But, you know. Something. What was I? It was a Thursday. Oh. What was, is it Monday night fo- no, third, oh football starting? No, I don't remember God. what it was. Anyway, I'm sure there's, I'm sure I'm forgetting something in my calendar that's happening on August 20th. But again, 
Fortunately, it must not be a major event because Disney, again, wants to spread creds out oh, throughout the year. And they dude. wouldn't do anything crazy like announcing multiple events oh, on exactly the same day. We, we need people in the park that day. because Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, you know, yeah, you'd want to, it's one of the slower times of the year. You want to you bring people in because nothing else do going on. Do we know if the Skyliner is going to be up and running at that point? Because that sounds like... Jim, if they if they have to move those cables by hand, I guarantee you that Skyliner is running. Oh my! God. <laughs> On August twenty ninth, I don't. If if they're running Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway with flashlights mm-hmm. and finger puppets, wow. Jim, it will be running oh. on August 29th. I guarantee it over at the studios. I've seen enough Irwin Allen movies that this is this is how it starts, Len. It's like food flying on the same day, exactly. opening giant attraction, <laughs> and you know the, the people are just riding in the Skyliner, and it's like, and everybody gets a complimentary, you know, thing of butane. <laughs> You know what else we need here? We need a factory that produces like a thousand cream pies a minute. And then we need a black and white film camera to see what happens there. All right. Actually, you know, before we move on here, the other thing that does concern me here is the November 23rd close date. The weekend before Thanksgiving. Sure. What could possibly go wrong? The poor people who actually swap out the decorations at the park, they're going to want the entire holiday program in place at Epcot by Wednesday. Four days later. Exactly. Four days later. Yes. I get it. It's popular, but you don't want to actually kill your employees, especially, you know, given what this fall is going to be like on the heels of Galaxy's Edge. Oh, yeah. So there's a four day turnaround before from the end of Food and Wine to the beginning of Festival of the Holidays. Mm-hmm. I did some math. There are roughly 240 of the 365 days mm-hmm. this year has some sort of festival Going on in Epcot, that's two out of every three days. The only month without a festival date, mm-hmm. July. And I think that's because they just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the sweat through your t-shirts festival. It's like Yeah, the, the asphalt festival. I'm going go. with something oh, there. Yeah. Right. You can barbecue, I think. Go. Yeah. All right, Jim. Other news uh, this week. Uh, it's finally announced that uh, the Haunted Mansion has on-ride photo pass. Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised it's actually taken this long to do it. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that the photo would be taken at the end of the ride where you're looking at your reflection in the mirror, but it's actually at the beginning. Jim, a long time ago, you and I talked about the possibility of some really interesting on-ride photos happening at the uh, the Haunted Mansion. This is not that. What happened? Well, do you remember the deck that we got for the first iteration of Magic Bands and PhotoPass and how they talked about, you know, for example, you were going to be able to take a, ge- a ghost home? Right, yeah. A lot, there was a lot of scene one stuff that uh, that never actually panned out. The whole notion now of the step away from you can't view this at the end of the attraction, but at the same time, given the number of people who pour through this building daily, yeah. it's just sort of like, that's not possible. Given that the retail component of the Haunted Mansion really is, mm-hmm. like, what, 300 feet away from? Oh, Momentum War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look on my Disney experience. You can when you're back in your hotel room, or even get your phone. But right. you know the whole notion of we don't have to sell this to you anymore. You're already going to buy it. Maybe that's it. Maybe the Disney realized that the investment in the the technology just wasn't uh, for a really special ride photo. Just wasn't worth mm-hmm. it when enough people would buy it to uh, already. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jim. Let me uh, since we're playing uh, twenty questions here. Let me ask you another uh, question. Mm-hmm. When you think, Jim, of Disney's contemporary resort. What what comes to mind? <laughs> well, you know, what? A-frame, modern, sleek. Modern architecture, right. Good answers. Mm-hmm. Monorail, mm-hmm. chrome, concrete. Yes, right. Jim, 
how far down your list did you have Western barbecue? Because Disney just announced Woody's Roundup at the Contemporary Resort. It's July 4th, 5th, and 6th this year. It is a food festival with a Western-themed buffet, after which people can watch fireworks from the balcony of the Contemporary Resort. The only thing that makes sense here are a couple of things. First of all, remember June 19th, possibly the 21st of this year, uh, we're getting Toy Story 4 out in theaters. In fact, just yesterday in Las Vegas, they showed the first 17 minutes of the film to exhibitors Mm -hmm. out there and evidently got a big reaction. So, yeah, okay, you're looking to cash in on this. Also, remember, we had... The Pixar Play Zone open up on the fourth floor last year. The the entire it's that child care option where you you know you pay the sixty five dollars and your kid gets to cavort with Carl and and Russell and Doug. Yeah, and it's still. I mean, I've I went I've been by the Contemporary since it opened. It's it's not as obvious that that's there as you would think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's about as hard to find as the the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. At the Contemporary? <laughs> this is true. You could send out a search party for the bathrooms at the Contemporary. Yeah. I don't necessarily sense that it's a trial balloon. I think that it's more a case of, okay, this this is a time when the resort is just swamped with people and they'll be looking for things and we can do this here and, and more to the point, we can capture people coming out of the Magic Kingdom during a time when, let's be honest, they, you know, the, the, the 4th of July weekend... The kingdom is body to body. Yeah, it's true. And so for, for families who are staying at the Contemporary or, you know, at a monorail resort who don't want to fight mm-hmm. the crowds to see the 4th of July fireworks, yeah, decent option. But, yeah, fair but enough. yeah, no, no, you're right. Expect the theme police to show up, you know, at the event and shoo everybody out. It's like, you want to go to a Western barbecue, get out of Fort Wilderness, scram, kids. Exactly. So. I'm, a, I'm a little surprised at the uh, prices, $150 for adults. Hundred dollars for uh, for kids ages three to nine yeah. seems like a lot for three hours of activity, but uh, but fair enough. I will uh, uh, I will say this, Jim. If I could have just a word with our listeners, uh, let me say this: whichever of you got a survey from Disney and said the contemporary needed a cowboy barbecue, s- stop doing that. Okay, <laughs> just just stop doing that. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, Jim. You mentioned earlier the new Lightning McQueen show. Mm. Over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, this fits in well with our recent Pixar film theme. This opened, it's in the Sunset Showcase, all the way at the end of Sunset Boulevard. Make a left, walk through the Rock and Roller Coaster Courtyard, and then into uh, this thing. It's roughly a 10-minute show, Jim. Mm-hmm. Holds a couple hundred people, and it's, so it's designed to entertain like 1,200 to 1,500 people an hour. I mean, Jim, this is purely a capacity play for, uh, for Galaxy's Edge, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. If you talk with Imagineers about this, they're trying to sell it as, well, you know, it's our, our new automotive entertainment complex. Then it's like, excuse me? It's like, well, what, well, <laughs> what? well, we're next door to Rock and Roller Coaster where you ride a limo. So, you know, in fact, that, that supposedly they're looking to create sort of a catty corner retail cart thing between the two places where they will sell merch for the racing academy. And the rock and roller coaster with, with the car stuff on it. There, there's a belief that this will work. Jim, I've read last minute book reports from fourth graders that have <laughs> that are better than this. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's one of these things where I, in fact, it, it just a, a quick diversion here that I don't know if you saw in the past week that the, the Rolling Stones had to cancel 
Uh, the, I saw that. Yes. Okay. Uh, because Mick needs heart surgery. A, a stent, not not surgery. A stent. Well, That's but here's a... the thing. All right, Mick is seventy five years old. The interesting thing, the way Imagineering works, did somebody went, uh, "How old is Steven Tyler?" And Steven Tyler is seventy one. <clears throat> there have been periodically over the past ten to fifteen years discussions about what do we do when Steven is no longer with us? Do we stick with you know Aerosmith? As the act that we built, you know, this thing around, because for one little horrifying moment, they were seriously talking about retheming the attraction around the Jonas Brothers, because that was a, a Disney basically owned act. Well, Joe Bros did get back together, so yeah. anything's possible. Well, but this is the thing Mick's medical issue and them having to put off the tour sort of reopened this conversation again at Disney. And it's like, we probably need to be thinking more seriously about this. Then we oh yeah, I mean five years from now, if we're having a conversation about who to replace Aerosmith mm -hmm. with, that will have gone on too long. Right? Yeah, but they're very hopeful because of the flexibility of the Racing Academy show, and we've talked previously about there's going to be a Halloween iteration of this, there's going to be a Christmas iteration of that. Right now, they're they're frantically clicking away and hoping that. People are getting enough entertainment value out of this 12-minute long show. I don't think there are enough people getting enough entertainment out of it. The uh, the wait times are already uh, basically walking all the time now. Okay. It was busy the first day that it opened. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it is in such a far, far corner mm -hmm. of the park where you've got to walk through at least one other attraction to get to it well. is not going to draw the people in, I think. Okay, well... Once upon a time, there was a conversation about, you know, when they were redoing Disney's Hollywood Studios about, you know, bringing the car, you know, the cars land that had been built for California out here. That's what I was thinking. If they could, if they could somehow make a walkway that goes from like behind Star Wars launch bay mm -hmm. that gets over to this place, that might bring in more people. By the way, I didn't, I don't know if we talked about this, but I was in the studios uh, last week mm -hmm. and I noticed new entrance signage. Mm -hmm for the Disney Junior show and the Vampirina character greeting. Remember way back in the day, you and I talked about one of the uh, initial problems with over in the Magic Kingdom with the timekeeper mm -hmm. was that there was no out front signage that told people that there was an attraction in there. Yeah, yeah. The same kind of thing happens at Disney Junior in Animation Courtyard mm -hmm. because the signage, the entrance, is perpendicular to the way that you're walking. So what Disney's actually done with this now is actually put a sign out at a 45 degree angle, like a big entrance sign, mm -hmm. like you see um, at the start of like marathons, you know, with like banners and everything around it. Mm -hmm. They put these entrance facades at 45 degree angles to the corners. So it's obvious this is where you walk in to get into this attraction that's in this huge building to your right. And I thought, I forgot to mention on the last show when I was, uh, when we recorded it, but Disney at least recognizes the issue that if we can demonstrate to people that there's something here worth seeing, and you can see the entrance from outside the animation courtyard. We'll get more people in it. Yeah, and watch that space, Len. You know, the gate there that has sort of the relief of all of the actors and performers and that sort of thing from... Yeah, the archway, yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you think the archway is uh, not long for this world? Well, I, there's a couple of things. One, where Club 33 is situated there, you know, uh, that's not going anywhere. I don't know what you're talking about, Jim. There go we ahead. go. Uh, I'm contractually obligated to say I don't know what you're talking there about. There we go. Go Okay. And the complex that, that makes up Disney Junior and the Brown Derby, good solid piece, directly behind Star Wars Launch Bay 
is the four-story building that used to hold all of the animators that worked at Disney Studios of Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Brian McNichols from uh, from my team and I were talking about this uh, the other day. Yep. We're trying to figure out where the expansion for Disney's Hollywood Studios might go. And you're right. So behind all of this, yep. basically trailers and, uh, and employee mm-hmm. infrastructure. So the only two things that really need to stay there are, mm-hmm. again, the Brown Derby Disney Junior Complex and the four-story building filled with executives and their parking structure, which you can see that from inside of Toy Story Land. Everything else is is up for grabs. And again, it's now the notion of, especially on the heels of, of Galaxy's Edge, it's like, okay, so yeah. what are we doing over here? And you and I have talked about the Monsters, Inc.-themed land that they, they've taken a look at. In fact, that's basically tabled now till they see how the Monsters, Inc. television series does on Disney+. Plus. In fact, by the way, again, April 15th, they just announced today, Len, everybody can watch the simulcast. They're, they're calling it Investor's Day, and everybody can tune in. Oh, for uh, Disney+. Plus. For Disney+. Plus. Everybody can tune in to watch this, and they're going to walk out some pretty amazing stuff. So it's it starts, I want to say, 5 o'clock East Coast time, 2 o'clock West Coast time, Make it eight, folks. You're going to want to watch this. That's uh, that's super interesting. But you're right, Jim, to, to your point. Mm. If Disney decided to move the infrastructure mm. that's behind Star Wars Launch Bay, so to the northwest mm-hmm. of that, there is a ton of room there yep. that they could move one of two places, mm-hmm. either west of World Drive mm-hmm. or if they want to keep it on the same side of World Drive, just north of Cypress Lane. There's a huge patch of unclaimed land right there mm-hmm. between uh, Cypress Drive and East Buena Vista Drive. Right now, they're not using for anything at all, and they can move all a lot of infrastructure uh, over that way. Oh, absolutely! And that's definitely enough room for a uh, for another land. In fact, they could, if they wanted to, they could they could take they could extend all of a uh, um, Toy Story Land. They basically triple or quadruple the size of Toy Story Land if they wanted to, easily double it without moving too much infrastructure at all. A lot of those decisions kind of depend on how Toy Story Four does this summer, which should. Just on the face of how the first three films did, should be a smash hit, but mm, again, you don't know. I'm calling it uh, right now, Jim. The next uh, based on and this is based on the uh, Captain Marvel mm-hmm. thing that the uh, the next land that the studios gets is a Marvel related land. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Jim. Let's take a quick commercial break, folks. Coming up after our break, Jim digs deeper into the questions Universal asked on its latest survey about the kinds of rides you want to see at a possible new theme park. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a new survey Universal put out uh, asking people about the mix of attractions that they wanted to see in a potentially new theme park. And their questions were interestingly balanced around uh, whether you wanted heavily detailed rides or heavily detailed environments or some combination of both. We got an interesting letter from listener Stephen P. about this, who said uh, this. As I listened to questions about the uh, the rides versus the immersive land balance, I was more and more struck by the question's absurdity. The answer to almost all these questions is, of course, it depends. Here's a couple of examples, and, uh, and, and Stephen gives them. One of them is, uh, he says, is his favorite ride on Disney World property. It's the Tower of Terror. It's not in a heavily themed land, but the line, lobby, pre-show, even the steam tunnels, are incredibly immersive. One of the finest theme cues Steven said he's ever experienced. 
And all of this elevates what is essentially a standard drop ride. So in this case, Stephen says, immersion makes the experience. Uh, and then you contrast this with the Hulk, where the line is not immersive at all. In fact, Marvel Thieving Island doesn't do anyone proud, he says, but Hulk is a great roller coaster. So nobody really cares about the lack of theming. Same thing with Diagon Alley, uh, which is super, super themed, even though Gringotts itself is not a particularly good ride. So what Stephen is saying is uh, the experience has to be great uh, no matter what, but the greatness can be achieved through many different combinations. Jim, is this sort of the kind of thing that, uh, that Universal is trying to get at with its questions? Surveys are always written with a goal in mind. They sort of tilt the survey toward the conclusion they want you to make, you know, with the hope of, well, look, you know, the research supports this. So, you know, everybody needs a unicorn, you know, horn inserted in their forehead. It's like, oh, well, okay. You know, we've got the research now. But with this one, when they would give away things like the uh, augmented reality. Right. Yeah, yeah. Every theme park has a moving vehicle ride that takes you past physical scenery. But the interesting thing is that if, as you dug down, as you dug deep and broke things into individual categories, you came across things like that, where they talked about an interactive attraction where, with augmented reality. You get the sense that they're trying to push the envelope, but in a safe way. They don't want to roll the dice so heavily and end up with a park that is tied to an IP that has fallen out of favor. If you talk with people who are fans of hit shows or that sort of thing, and they will talk about, mm -hmm. oh, wouldn't it be great if there were a, a Game of Thrones park or a Lord of the Rings land? And, you know, but then when you talk with, with people in themed entertainment, they come back down to, that's a wonderful thing to say. How do you do that? Yeah. What is it? What exactly does that mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. You could build Frodo or Bilbo's house. But it's like, yeah. <laughs> all right, so we walk through it, and then what? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to replicate the fight scenes mm -hmm. unless you're going to do screens, right? Yep. Yeah. You're never going to capture the uh, the immense uh, scale of the landscapes, mm -hmm. right? It's like it's like trying to do a, a ride based on Titanic. Okay, the boat sinks. Mm -hmm. what's, what's Step two is what? <laughs> yeah, like, then what, right? Like, <laughs> it's so funny you say that because Fox had a theme park on the Gold Coast in Australia, where for a time they did have a Titanic basically walkthrough attraction. And the final moment of the ride was when, based on, you know, where you were standing, you know, they then said, oh, by the way, well, this half of the room survived and this half of the room went down, you know, and you're, you're standing there watching the room flood. That's a downer, it, Jim. No, that's, 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 that's tell you right exactly, now. You're you not going to, you're not going to sell a lot of merchandise that says I didn't survive. The yeah. Country. I mean, you know, it's just not. Also, the other thing that I found fascinating was to, to go through what they were considering for intellectual properties. I mean, for example, if you, the different categories were world-renowned IP based on a movie, TV show, comic, or video game. This survey did not include the option for a world-renowned IP based on a book, which I thought Universal is the the park that pushes Jurassic Park. And it's like, I'm pretty sure that was a book first. Yeah, but uh, can you think of a book that hasn't been made into uh, a really uh, well-selling book? That hasn't been made into no, a movie. No, that's it, that's it exactly. Right. But the interesting thing is that if you actually talk with the folks at, at, in Universal Creative, they will talk about how when they're working on the Wizarding World, they actually try to make the land 
straddle both the films and the books so that you know there, there are details hidden in shops and and you know restaurants and that sort of thing that someone who's read the books rather than watch just watch mm-hmm. the movies will get but yeah they go from world-renowned ip to well-known ip to niche or lesser known ip give me an example of something that's a well-known ip that isn't world-renowned that's probably something like stranger things ah uh, okay yeah, yeah, okay it's not world-renowned okay that's a great example actually but yeah, on right. the other hand you know that you have to anticipate that you know as stranger things goes on and gets sold around the world mm-hmm. and that sort of thing it gets that much more well known likewise for example something like the tonight show with jimmy fallon one of the reasons why when you're on the ride you go to the moon is because when you're outside of the building there's the logo for the tonight show and it features jimmy fallon standing in front of the moon you know because again it's a late night show and they actually deliberately sought out guests in the park, international visitors who had weren't familiar with Jimmy Fallon or The Tonight Show, and asked them based on this art and what would you anticipate is inside that building? And it's like, well, a ride where I get to go to the moon. <laughs> and, <it> was, <laughs> and, you know, to, to give Jason Sorrell and the team who put together the, the Tonight Show ride credit they thought that was funny and they were flexible enough to, well, okay, so let's send him to the moon and, and to give Fallon credit when they came with him, came to him with the idea, he actually thought it was funny. And it's like, sure, let's go to the moon. Sure. I'm, I'm done yes, with this. But the fact that right from the get go here, these categories, a movie, a TV show, a comic yep. and a video game and a video game, right? With all the Nintendo stuff that universal is working on right now, the fact that they felt the need to have to, you know, before we actually start pouring the concrete and pulling up the steel, you really do like video games, right? You you, you really like them. <laughs> you guys are cool with the video games, <laughs> right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be a billion in and have you guys go, you know, I don't like Mario anymore. No, I think it's I think it's uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. The demographic for Nintendo is perfect for theme park parkos right now because you know, kids grew up playing Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Everyone's familiar with the Nintendo games. Everyone has a uh, some copy of some game somewhere, even if we're just passing familiarity with it. I think it's. Uh, I think it totally makes sense there. I'm intrigued though about a Stranger Things attraction. Like when you said Stranger Things, the the my mind immediately went to character breakfast where all they serve is Eggo waffles. <laughs> right, like everything is based around Eggo waffles. Mm. I think that's Universal is that rare park where something can start as just a maze or a house at Halloween Horror Night and then become an attraction. I mean, think about right. at, at Universal Studios Hollywood. They actually have a Walking Dead walkthrough, which right. does a brilliant job of marrying, you know, live performers to film clips to physical environments. Yeah, I can't I can't do those kinds of uh, things. No, no, no. It's, it makes me too jumpy. No, no, I again. It's not for everyone. No, I get no. it. I get and it. my daughter especially loves the fact, you know, loves torturing me because I just don't do zombies. Oh, you don't you don't like zombies? Have you seen uh, on Netflix the Santa Clarita diet? Oh <laughs> with Drew Barrymore. Hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> it's the uh, I believe it's the same guy that did uh, Better Off Ted. Oh. The okay. uh, the mm-hmm. show. Uh, and it's gotta be the same showrunner because I think virtually the entire cast mm-hmm. has shown up in Santa Clarita Diet at one time or another. Wow. Like Portia de Rossi mm-hmm. did has done a uh, has done a cameo mm-hmm. in it. It's hysterical. It's very very funny. The first couple episodes, you can see like everybody kind of getting their uh, their footings on it, but the dialogue is very very funny. 
Well, I don't know if you saw, they've just started running a trailer for a Jim Jarmusch movie starring Bill Murray about zombies, only this take on zombies, what you did in real life, you, as a zombie, you eventually, de you know, devolve back to, and at one point they show Carol Kane sort of lurching towards somebody, and again, Carol Kane is, you you know her from The Princess Bride, you know, Valerie, the, the, the wife of Miracle Max, but right. she's lurching to the camera, and all she can say is, Chardonnay, Chardonnay. <laughs> so... So Bill Murray's got a, a zombie movie yes, coming out. Yes, well, he's the, the head of police, and it's just one of these things where, again, remember, this is Bill Murray who did Zombieland. Zombie, I was going to say, the cameo in Zombieland was fantastic. Yeah, well, that, that this time he's in law enforcement dealing with, with the zombies. So, uh, no, definitely a trailer worth seeking out, folks. All right, Jim. So uh, so we've gone through the, uh, the Universal Survey for Intellectual Property. What about, uh, like, the kind of ride or show? Like, what, what you actually do on it? The way they break it down is that you know, are we doing a standalone attraction? Is the standalone attraction uh, located in a moderately themed land? Is it located in a highly immersive themed land? And then, you know, for me, what's fascinating is when they break it down into its component parts. You're in a queue space. All right, does this queue space, for example, feature an interactive game or kiosk? Uh, does it include... Right a video pre-show that you have to watch before you board, or does it include a pre-show that features live actors? And it just, it was like they broke every theme park attraction in the world down to Legos. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, what piece do you want here? Yeah, there were like there were like nine different questions about the kind of line you were going to yeah. stand on. But they talk about, are you in a standard queue where you just stand there in a typical line and, you know, there's line, no yeah. queue entertainment. Or are you in a, you in a virtual queue where you've reserved the time and now, mind you, when you come back, you may have to wait up to 15 minutes before actually boarding the right. vehicle. But like Fallon is a virtual queue. No, that's it exactly. But yeah. but even, you know, the whole notion of breaking down, you know, what sort of queue are you in? Is it a light overlay of, of theming and decor? Is it moderate or is it immersive? Much like what Stephen was just saying about Ringgit's Bank, an amazing space that, you know, ends in an okay ride. And then let's not forget, you know, you exit through the gift shop. Oh, were there questions about the gift shop? That part they kept out. <laughs> you know? It's implied. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You don't have to ask questions to which you everyone knows the answer. After going through the survey, I don't think I can ever go on a ride anymore and go, Oh boy, I'm going on this attraction. <laughs> now I have to break it down into whatever category. Light, lightly over the light, light, light overlay of theming in the queue, yeah. right? Interactive games. Yeah. <laughs> Am I riding? Is this a moving vehicle ride that follows a flat path? Is this a moving vehicle ride with with elevation changes? Is a moving vehicle? Oh yeah, you can just you can just check off the yeah, box. Yeah. The boxes as you as you went through every single ride. I almost felt bad sharing this info with you because I thought. Boy, this is going to make the guide really interesting to write going forward. Get <laughs> just, <sort of. laughs> just a whole other set of categorizations that we can employ. Yeah. It's a great way though to to rate a ride. Uh, you know, so like if you you know a ride that has like top notch mm -hmm. elements in each of those categories, mm -hmm. you would definitely consider different than uh, than one that didn't. Yeah, but when you think about something like Peter Pan, that's been around Peter Pan flight since '55. And yes, every couple of you know, years you see Disney step back in and just recently they've, you know, upgraded Peter Pan you know, with use of the projection mapping and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. 
but it's still basically the same bright experience for 55 and oh yeah how do you become an evergreen how do you settle on that mix of elements that makes it you know this yeah that's a good point because i mean the original peter mm. pan ride the queue is mm. nothing right i mean they've got the thing where you go through absolutely now, right so now it now it's now it's mo was a moderate theming mm. the queue space includes interactive games but it didn't yep. always the scenery inside the ride it's all physical mm. sets I mean, none of it is modern, right? It's all it's all old style sets. Yeah. The audio isn't uh, especially mm -hmm. good. The ride vehicles are are moderately innovative, right? Because they're suspended from the top rather than from the mm -hmm. bottom. Yeah, but it doesn't really have anything on this survey that you would say would be you know, would would be indicative of a of a top notch attraction. And yet, every single person that goes to the Magic Kingdom gets on Peter Pan. It's not their first yeah. ride, but you know they're going to do it throughout the day. It's definitely one of those ones. That you have to to go on, and it has that it has that certain mm -hmm. something, right? That's uh, that you can't quantify in a survey. Mm -hmm. It's a great yeah. point. And we're about what five years into the scene one uh, that was added yeah. for Walt Disney World's uh, Haunted Mansion, and you know there are so few people now who actually do anything in there. I mean, they're just sort of like, look, nothing personal. I just want to get on the ride. I want to get on this wonderful ride. Yeah, it's hot. I'm tired. Yeah, you you know, know, my feet are... I don't yeah. want to play with the boats. But I, I do notice this because I've, I've actually mm -hmm. done the standby line where all of these interactive elements yeah. are purposely just to see how many people are interacting with it. And the one thing I've noticed that is if you start playing with mm -hmm. stuff, everyone will start playing with stuff. Oh, yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure that, that everyone understands that it's interactive. You've hit upon one of the other issues that... that when you have as many international visitors as you do. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. nothing there that says, pull the books out. You know, something will happen. And the interesting thing about it is this is one of the places where you've got a mm -hmm. kid who can't stand still. Yeah. And when they start pulling and pushing on things, then everyone yep. sees what's going on. Yeah, I think that's what that's what makes, uh, that's what gives everybody the hint mm -hmm. that you can do things in the queue. It makes it better. So what they need to do is hire a street atmosphere performer whose job is just to hang in there all day and be obnoxious. Hey, what happens when I push on this? You know. Exactly. <laughs> Get some precocious child actors to just uh, run around and, uh, and grab things there in the you queue. Go. I think that's a, a fantastic idea, DHM. What, what could possibly go wrong with this? Put that right in there with the Disney villain cruise theme idea, folks. All right. You know, and again, <laughs> send that check to Len Testa. All right, folks. That's going uh, to do it for our show today. On next week's show, we're going to talk about a new patent Disney's filed for an interactive space based on predicted events. Maybe related to either a ride or a transportation network. Not entirely sure. Also, for more of our shows, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who earns extra money this time of year by taste testing new flavors of marshmallow peeps for Easter candy sales. Don't forget to go onto iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.